When we had come to, to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do, therefore, what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that they are that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our, with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. This is God's word. Amen. How you doing, family? All right. Let's open up in prayer. Dear Gracious Father, Lord God, I just thank you for ah, just the many blessings you have given us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that I may be able to uh, uh, speak with gospel integrity, uh, with humility. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, that the body will be encouraged. And Lord, all this I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, typically, well, actually, I'm first... Welcome to MacGav Community Church. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, please raise your hand and Pastor Leon will hand you one. Also, in this church, it's not a strange thing to uh, ask a question um, while uh, the preacher is giving a sermon. If you feel like you need clarity or uh, you have something to add that you think will be beneficial to the body, please feel free to do so. If it's something you're not quite sure, then um, maybe it's best to kind of wait to afterwards and come speak to myself or one of the elders or pastors. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, today, what we're going to do, the way I'm going to um, deliver this sermon today is something somewhat not typical. Um, Typically, when we preach here at MacGav, we're very uh, passionate about our community um, and about the local church. And so when we're preaching, we're thinking about the body, we're our local body, and we're thinking about our community. You know, from time to time, we may briefly talk about something that's going on in Church Universal or Church America, right? But most of the time, you know, we really focus on um, church local. And it's one of the reasons why Pastor Leon and Pastor Eric is, is my favorite teachers because they know me personally and they know the context that we all live in, right? And so, you know, um, and so really, I just, 
I guess that was just one of those uh, quick plugs in for the local church and the local sermon. Um, local preaching of the word. But today, I'm going to kind of focus on church Americana. Because I, I, I have, after just kind of looking at the landscape, uh, where we're at as a country, as a church, as a society... You know, I think there's a lot of things that's going on in a national level. And some of my critiques uh, this morning um, is critiquing kind of where we are as a church as a whole, but not necessarily our local body. Um, And the reason I kind of frame it that way is because I think we have a healthy local body. I think we have a body that's really passionate about all the things of God, but we're also a local body that is an American evangelical. Amen. And so things that goes on outside this community, in our nation, right, affects us. Um, last week, Pastor uh, Elder, I'm about to give you a title, Pastor Elder, um, <laughs> like the good Reverend Doctor. Um, <laughs> Elder Matthew spoke about camaraderie and community and conviction and courage, right? And um, and he kind of took us using that framework of what, uh, Acts uh, 21, 1 through 6, where we saw Paul leaving Ephesus and he's on his way to Jerusalem. But as he's traveling to Jerusalem, he's having great fellowship with the saints. At the same time, he's being warned about what is going to happen to him in Jerusalem. Um, but this Paul being the, the stubborn, faithful preacher that he is, right, enjoyed the fellowship. You know, he heard the uh, prophecies of that, you know, it'll be doom or he will be imprisoned um, once he goes to Jerusalem. But he didn't care because he had a mission. And, uh, and one of the verses that we went over last week was, you know, um, then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Right. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the word, let the will of the Lord be done. And so Paul knew what was going to happen, you know, to him by going to Jerusalem. But he was he was a man on a mission. And so we kind of pick up here because now. He's in Jerusalem. Amen. He's about to get (laughs) what he asked for. Right. Um, And we open up in uh, verse 17. It says, when he had when he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Um, Right. So here is Paul. Now, this was Paul's fourth trip to, to Jerusalem as a believer. Um, we see in Acts 11, um, no, in Acts 9, after his conversion, he went to Jerusalem and then they were kind of freaking out because back they didn't realize that he was walking with the Lord. And so they thought, you know, he was setting them up and, and Barnabas had to come alongside and, and basically vouch for him. And then he had a subsequent, subsequent trip to, um, in Acts 11, 28, 30, in which Paul and Barnabas uh, carried the first relief funds to Jerusalem um, from Antioch and Syria. 
Um, Jerusalem was a struggling church. They were poor. And, you know, one of the things, as you look at Paul's journey, he wasn't just diligent about preaching the word, but he was diligent about collecting funds and resources to take to the poor church in Jerusalem. Amen. On the third trip, right? Um, and you see that described in Galatians 10, 1 through 10 and Acts 15. And this was between the first and second missionary journeys. Paul met with the apostles to discuss um, some doctrinal issues. You know, we had uh, the issue where the Judaizers wanted to place a yoke on the Gentile believers, you know, wanted them to basically live as Jews. Right. And so they had this council where um, it basically came down where we're not going to put that yoke, you know, on the Gentiles, right? And they were free um, not to um, be circumcised. And so, and um, having to partake in the Mosaic ceremonies. And so we see that played out. And then now on this final trip, Paul and a crew of Gentile believers return again with financial relief for the poor and struggling church in Jerusalem. And so when scripture says they were received gladly, right? Because it was Paul, right? A dear beloved brother. And they were happy to see him. And they probably was happy to see these Gentile believers who were um, traveling with Paul, who was an example of God's grace as Paul was planting churches uh, throughout. And not only that, but they had loot. Right. And so they had like um, financial aid and resources for them. And uh, and so it was just a great time of fellowship. Right. And so we see that camaraderie and that com- and community continues. Um, then in verse 18, on the following day, Paul went in with us uh, to James um, and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done amongst the Gentiles through his ministry. Right. And so James, we see him throughout um, Acts. He was a apostle. He was uh, one of the prominent leaders in uh, in the Jerusalem church. Um, Some would say that he was the head leader, but I think. That church was just like we are a plurality of elders, right? And so it's kind of like how Eric is kind of our our lead. You know, we're like Maroon 5 and he's Avril Lavigne, right? (laughs) You know, but the thing is, you know, if if he could quote Taylor Swift in a sermon, I could quote. But anyway, stay focused, stay focused. Right. But it was like this plurality of uh, elders. And it's really you get to see the growth, you know, of the church, you know, because the other apostles were not there. They were probably on mission doing other things. And now you see the church being kind of moving from being uh, led by the apostles to this plurality, plurality of elders. And so it's just really a kind of a good thing to note. Um, there was probably about. I guess as I read commentary, 70 to 100 um, elders, the church was a big church, right? Tens of thousands or 10,000 plus. Um, they met at James' house, which, or, you know, they was believed that they made it, met at James' house, which had to be a big crib because it fits so many elders, right? And so once they greeted each other, uh, they met at James' house. Paul began to give a mission report and with great detail, he began to tell the elders all what God was doing. 
And this reminds me of uh, one of the purposes of the book of Acts. And that is, is the chronicles of the acts of the Holy Spirit. Right. And so it's almost kind of reminding us of, you know, what this this book was about, because in our day and age where you got a lot of church growth and a lot of programs and, you know, like all these other things, we could forget that it's God doing all these things. And so really, you see Paul and his humility, you know, modeling that it wasn't him and his dopeness, but that it was the Holy Spirit. And so he's going, it says one by one. So he took his time to tell them all that was going on. And so he probably told them how God, uh, through him, um, through his ministry, planted churches in Syria, Cyprus, Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, uh, Achaia, and Asia Minor. He probably talked about how the Holy Spirit um, just really preserved him through all the trials and obstacles that came with planting these churches and how uh, the Holy Spirit continued to comfort and preserve him, right? Um, not only um, uh, the Holy Spirit is comforting him, but also comforting him with community and fellowship. And, he, and you know, he probably bragged about how countless um, uh, amount of um, Gentiles are now calling on the name of Jesus Christ. Right. And so this was probably one of the best mission reports ever given in the history of the world. And as I was thinking about this, it kind of. You know, I started to think about this question, like when people ask you about MacAv, how do you answer? Right. Because even in our church, you know, we got a lot of things going on. You know, we got the CDCs and we got just, you know, with the Mac Sports and Mac Lit and like all just a whole bunch of things. Right. I love this body because even though we're not a big body, you know, we, we really are a busy body and we are a really impactful body. And the Lord has really done a lot through us. I was really blessed at uh, the gala. Right. And, um, and really just J.D. leadership with um, making God the, the, the center of everything and reminding us of our, our, our commitment to the gospel and our desire to bring shalom to this community. Amen. And so I just think like um, when you're telling when you're bragging about MacAv, just remind you to brag about what God is doing. Amen. And we're going to continue. And when they heard it, right, Paul's testimony, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, right? So they glorify God, which is the proper response um, to what God is doing. Um, so they gave God glory. And then they began to express some of the issues that was going on. All right. So can you imagine the scene? Paul is like, man, God did this. And they were just like, great. God is good. And then they begin to tell Paul like, hey, the church is growing. Right. Right. Thousands of Jews have come to know Jesus Christ as their believer, but they don't like you. Right. Right. And this had to be a blow to Paul. Right. And this was a blow to that camaraderie. And to that unity that we saw playing out previously. And the reason why is that um, there were, that while, God, while Paul was out on his missionary journeys, right, doing all these wonderful things in the name of our Lord, there were 
men in the name of Satan, right? Just basically throwing salt on Paul's game. And it was either the Jews or the Judaizers, right? You know, the Jews, as we always saw, that they were a chief opponent of Paul, right? But not only was the Jews um, an opponent of Paul, there were these group of Judaizers who were, who men that professed Christ, but they were legalistic and they were the ones we saw in Acts 15 that wanted to put that yoke of bondage on the Gentile believers. And so they were still preaching like you must um, adhere to the ceremonial laws in order to be saved. And so as Paul is traveling, doing his thing, the Judaizers will come to a church he planted after he planted it. Right. And then begin to say, hey, wait, man, that, that grace he's talking about. I mean, that's there. But first. You know, you got to practice these these ceremonies. Right. And so not only was they following him, it seemed like they could have been they had some men posted in uh, Jerusalem that was continuing to um, um, rail against Paul and essentially God. Now, these Jews, these Jewish Christians. Right. They I don't think that they were practicing the Mosaic um, laws. To, to earn salvation. I think they did it just because they were, they were Jews, right? This, uh, the ceremonies, the laws, the rituals. I mean, it was their cultural and religious identity. It was who they were. And even though they came to Christ, they, they weren't any less Jews. Amen. You know, I, I kind of think about my own personal journey. When I came to Christ, you know, um, before Christ, I was kind of a, a black nationalist type of dude. My identity was in my black heritage, right? Um, my identity as far as like being dark skinned and, and finding acceptance was through the teachings of uh, black is beautiful and the sweeter, the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice. It helps me get like, a, it, right? Right. So little, little cultural, right? But man, but these things as a dark skinned kid, you know, um, who wasn't really getting a lot of positive influence, not only in his community, but not in the media, you know, I was really like struggling, but here comes like the teaching of a lot of black leaders that was saying, yo brother, you're a strong black man. You descend, you descended from Kings and Queens. And they told me the importance of having black unity and, and being about your brothers and, and love and like all these different things, which are good things, Right. But when I came to Christ, those things wasn't gospel, right? There were some things that could be redeemed from those teachings. But it was really a journey for me to go from black nationalist Alvin to black uh, nationalist Christian Alvin to just uh, kingdom focused Alvin. Right. And I'm still struggling with it. Amen. But it was a process. And right then. In the church of Jerusalem, right, they were still holding on very tightly to their Jewish identity. Now, that wasn't a problem because to um, because it wasn't sinful for them to participate in the Passover, right? It wasn't sinful to participate in Pentecost, what was probably going on then, right? But what was sinful was when they began to make that the thing, 
right, of their identity. And when they begin, when they begin to look through the lenses of their Jewish tradition and they began to look at their brother Paul. And so the scripture said that they were zealous about their traditions. Amen. And when it says zealous, zealous, you know, it's talking about zeal and that means to, to be heated, to be, to be boiled, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a strong passion. And so they had this strong passion for their traditions. And so what the enemy did, right? And remember, I, I don't know if it was the Jews, you know, or the Judaizers, but what I could tell you that for most surely that it was Satan at work here. And it was Satan attacking the body of Christ. And what he used in this particular attack wasn't doctrine. It was religious affection and social affection, right? Because they were so zealous about being a Jew, they came in and they were just kind of like, yo, Paul is, he's a sellout, right? He's telling you to forsake Moses. He's preaching not to circumcise your child and to not observe your customs, right? And all these things were lies. Um, by this time, I think uh, the book of Galatians, uh, uh, the book of Romans um, was already written and circulating. Um, Paul wasn't opposed to circumcision. We could see that in Galatians Galatians 5.16, Galatians 6.15. Um, he even circumcised Timothy for the sake of expediency. He observed Jewish uh, festivals. He himself took a Nazareth uh, vow. And so these, these, these rumors were unfounded. They were untrue. But once again, the question is, why were these lies so effective, right? Why were they so effective, Right. I'm telling you, when things when you hold things in your heart, right, I'm telling you, that's what a, the devil really loves to work with our emotions, you know. And here they were so emotionally connected with right with Judaism that when these lies came, they didn't even probably think to discern it. Right. To think they didn't begin to process. Well, well, uh, what is it? To be Jewish or to be Christian, you know, they didn't start conferences and write blogs and books to try to figure these things out. It was just kind of like Paul is a sellout, you know, and we're going to get them. Now, they had what they were wrestling with was once again, right, Judaism and their unhealthy zeal for it. Today in our country, what I think we deal with is. Um, as American evangelicals, I think we deal with American evangelical zealotry. When I see the American church, right, and there's, you could break down the American church and denominations and different type of things, but I, I think on a national public scale, what I, I, I think I see more is the two biggest hitters are conservatives evangelicalism and and the social justice crew right the conservatives they're passionate about uh morality um they're passionate about um religious freedoms uh passionate about uh issues like abortion um uh marriage right which are 
you know, I think are good issues for the Christian to be about because I, I think they all have their place in flourishing. Um, then you have the social justice crowd, right? And they're really focused about um, dealing with issues of poverty and race and really being an advocate for the poor and um, the oppressed in this, in this country. Um, um, passionate about community development, passionate about speaking out against uh, historic and systemic uh, racism that goes on even to this day. And once again, a great voice, right? Really good things to be focused on. And like I said, these things aren't bad in their righteous pursuit, but when a cause or a particular group of causes uh, becomes like the thing that's when we open up ourselves for attack, right? When we begin to not first seek the kingdom of God and all his righteous, right, righteousness, and we begin to really um, just seek our individual personal agendas, right, that really leaves us open to the attacks of the enemies. And now, once again, I'm not saying that is wrong, to be considered to be in a social justice camp, right? Or it's not wrong to, to lean on conservatism, right? But it's, it's wrong when we begin to like battle with each other because somehow we, we, we it seemed like these, it's, it's amazing, these, these issues that are so harmonious, right? That flow so good together. You know, I think about the pro-life movement and I think about um, uh, the social justice movement and we talk about poverty and helping to oppress. And I'm like, man, with abortion, it was this this attack on uh, on African-Americans, right, to keep our numbers limited. Right. And so, you know, in conservative uh, conservative circles, they're speaking out against abortion. Right. And then I'm thinking like, man, I got this movement of believers that's in the hood laboring right but it seemed like the pro-life movement is not as a focus in their movement and then on a public scale we're like we're butting heads and it makes no sense whatsoever right no logical sense and unfortunately the reality of it is is because and the, the, the community actually suffers more you know when we aren't together right but what happens is once we begin to get our babies right once our agenda or our post our, our personal passion whether it's um the pro-life movement or the poverty movement once that becomes our baby right and you know and, and all the mothers you know about this don't nobody better mess with your baby right nobody better touch your baby right you know, my wife is so nice and docile, but when you mess with her kids, she becomes the expendables, all of them, right? <laughs> you know, I remember one time I was spanking the boys, and I had to look over my shoulder because I think I might have gave them one lick too many. And, um, and I looked, and Marilyn was sitting there like, um, so I just kind of left the room and told him, you know, y'all think about what y'all doing, <laughs> you know? Like, I ain't dying on that hill. But, <laughs> but what happens is, like, once again, 
these, we, we can have these passions and we can have these zeals and they're really good to have, right? But then once that becomes the thing, you know, it begins to, to affect the unity of the body and it begins to affect our testimony to the world. Yes. Oh, she was asking me, when do um, your passion becomes unhealthy? Is that so? Oh, okay. First, practically, the way you know that you are going into the realm of religious zealousy is when you begin to, one, look, begin to judge other saints by your passion. Right. And so you're passionate about poverty issues. Right. You here in the De- in Detroit and you see all the the the, the plight of the African-Americans here in this community. Right. You see the pain. You see the suffering. Right. And you're looking at resources that's in other churches and like just you just looking at all these things. And it's, and one of the things is beautiful because as you serve here, you're growing more in love with the community and your passion is being fueled. But what happens is, is when you begin to look at other churches or ministries that's not in your sect and you begin to say, one, you know, you're not passionate. What about the poor? <laughs> you know, um, they say, well, uh, you know, I'm, you know, we got to deal with, uh, you know, the homosexual agenda. What about the poor, right? Uh, we got to deal with this. You know, you know you're a zealot when your response to almost everything that's the opposite of you is, what about this, right? Because you're not looking to, like, walk alongside in peace and humility and learn. You're trying to just defend and promote your cause. And so if you begin to look and judge the body of Christ by your passion, you know, that's when that thing has become the thing. And the thing that we got to understand is sometimes we like to throw out these terms like white silence, right? And we will go, you know, you're just silent about what's going on, right? And we just accuse like a whole broad part of the church, right? That's another example. When you become an accuser, Right now, I'm not saying that there's not any truth to that because there are some apathetic Christians. But the reality of it is, is that we're all in some measure silent on something or we're all maybe not as loud on a particular topic as we are. And so when we begin to like judge people because they're not as loud or we're, we're or they're not at the same level or where we're at on a journey. Right. That begins to break the unity. You know, I think about myself because it's really the thing I really don't like about that white silence, because it's really a simple approach to a complex issue. The reality of it is, is when you think about passion, how do our passions become our passion? You know, I think about myself. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. I'm an African-American male. I grew up in a home where I had a father and I had people and my family came out of poverty from Mississippi, came here, got jobs, began to work. My father, man, he would take, right? He made minimum wage. He had the family on his back. So when I look at the hood, yeah, I know that there's things outside that creates poverty, 
But man, I'm like, yo, from my my upbringing and what I um, uh, the things that I perceived, I see that man, a strong man, can really do a lot for a family, right? And so I'm preaching, man. We need accountability. Growing up in the hood, I saw a lot of black on black violence. I saw drug dealers sell poisons, right? I saw them sell poison to mothers. I saw them sell poison to fathers. I saw solid homes become crack homes as the father, right, made that fatal decision to take a hit. And now that family is destroyed. I saw that. I, I mean, I saw police brutality, but more than police brutality, I saw just black on black crime and violence, right? More than I, even as now, more than I ever have to minister to a, a mother who lost their child to a, a racist cop. And just last year, I had to minister to, uh, to several women whose kids, whose sons was killed, whose aunts was killed, families hurting because of black on black violence. And so what happens is that, and now that I'm redeemed and I can look at all this through redemptive lenses, right? What does it cause me? I'm going to be a voice and I'm going to be the one like, we need to get more riled up for black on black violence. I'm going to be a voice on accountability. I'm going to be out there in the streets because when I grew up, I heard no church. And now that I got a message of hope, yeah, I'm going out to the streets to preach it. And so God redeemed all these things, these passions, that was just kind of just things. He redeems them. And now I'm me. And you have the same type of upbringings, your education, your, your environments, all these things fuel your passions. It's complex. And when we begin to take our cues from sociological, um, just whatever, and then we begin to broad stroke each other with, with, um, Accusations of being a Marxist or accusations of being a white, white silence. Man, the world sees this. And what happened? When things like Ferguson comes up, they not knocking on our door. When Eric Garner came up, they didn't knock on our door. Man, it was a time when black people would rush to the doors of the church to hear what the man of God had to say. But you know why they don't rush to the black church anymore? You talk about white silence? The black church was silent. And the reason why now the civil rights movement is not just about a movement about poverty and African-Americans and women being created equal. That is a, a movement that embraced erotic liberties like homosexuality and embraced reproductive freedoms, abortions. All these type of things is the civil rights movement. And that was on the black church watch. And so before I get to saying white silence, I got to look at my crew and check myself. Because we're all guilty about what's going on in this country. And so once again, it begins to hurt our prophetic voice. You know, so when all this racial uh, distress is going on, Fox News, 
what they do? They call a conservative Christian. Like, hey, we need you to talk about uh, accountability, <laughs> right? You gotta, we need you to talk about why black folks ain't getting mad at other black folks. Why they just getting mad at white folks, right? <laughs> and then the social justice person get the call from CNN. Hey, you know, you like us. <laughs> you know, we're all about, you know, liberties and we're all about, you know, black people because now it's in style to like, like black people, <laughs> right? You know, hey, yeah, you like black people, we like black people, and we don't like conservatives, and we need some spiritual person. So, when you come up, and what happens? Instead of being a prophetic voice, we become a common voice. <laughs> Man, you telling me that Satan ain't just tripping on us? And now the world. It's jacked up. They don't know how to deal with all that's going on. They're figuring out their own ways of dealing it. And we are just battling on social media and in the blogosphere. Right. Next verse. Now. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Uh, Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all who know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. All right, so they had a plan, right? And here's the elders' plan. And a lot of people critique their plan, but I think these were godly men. And I think they were really trying to, like, minister um, in their local context. And so basically, they asked Paul to, um, to show that he's still down with the Jews, that he still observed Jewish customs, that he still wanted them. And so they asked him to basically, with along, along with a couple of other brothers, and we think it's a Nazareth vow, right, which was a, a vow that, you know, we're taking, you know, we're, um, hold on, I lost myself in the notes. Right. It was a vow that during the period of the vow, the confessor would abstain from wine and strong drink, uh, from any defiling contact such as with a dead body, and would not cut his hair. When the period of the vow was over, uh, the vow taker would present an offering in the temple. His hair would be cut and sacrificially burned. Also to the temple. Also at the temple, another Jew might associate himself with the Nazareth vow, or with the Nazarene. Nazareth by paying, praying, paying for his offering, right? And so they were just like, Paul, go with these brothers, show them you still down, pay for their expenses, right? Because, you know, you got your money behind this, you're really serious. And so what did Paul do? Well, first of all, let's look at what the elders did, right? It says, what then is to be done, Right? In verse 23, they said, do therefore what we tell you. <laughs> what would be your response if Eric or Leon just say, look, do what we tell you. <laughs> right? 
Some of you be like, no, well, wait a minute. You can give me your uh, reasons. I'll process it. If I like them, I will submit. <laughs> you know, and here these elders are. And yeah, they got James, but this is still Paul, right? This is Paul, like the apostles of the apostles. And they're just basically like, this is what you're going to do. Now, what did Paul do? Paul says, no, no, I got liberties. You know, I ain't got to do that. You know, who are these accusers? Bring them to me. We're going to do it this way. No, what did Paul do? Paul submitted to their authority, to their leadership, right? Paul went the route of humility. And this humility was displayed in his submission. You know, Paul didn't come there to fight, right? He didn't come there to fight his brothers, These Jewish Christians who hated him were still his brothers, (laughs) right? Those Christians that don't agree with your passions or don't have that same level of intensity, they're still your brothers. We need to stop fighting each other and realize that. And Paul, you know, we talk about top 10 lists, what's wrong with the... uh, with the church in America, and each person will have their own top 10. I got a top one list. Pride, <laughs> right? It's pride. And I got one solution, humility, right? Pride is at the root of every sin. Humility is at the root of every virtue. And so Paul took that low, high road of humility, Next verse. Right? And we see it. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and offered, offering presented for each one of them. And so, like I said, he modeled Christ. Next verse. Oh, never mind. Oh, oh I think it's another verse. All right, I'm sorry, I got that confused. Philippians 2, 5 through 9. Have this mind amongst you, yourself, amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted himself and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Humiliation of Christ, right? You ever heard that term, right? This, this, this verse sums that up, right? You know, we, we talk about zeal, right? But true zeal Right, that is rooted in grace, that is rooted in sound doctrine, right, should lead you to humility. Because if you're passionate about the things of God, then you'll be passionate about unity. And if you're burning and on fire from unity, you're not going to be walking around looking to fight. You're going to be looking like, man, how can I walk in peace with my brother? Right? Right? We need to be on fire for humility in the season. 
right? And when, and when we talk about the humiliation of Christ, we're talking about the fact that he emptied himself of his glory. He left the beauty of heaven to come to this earth and submit himself to the authority, right, that he created, right, to be, to be abused and to be rejected and to be forsaken, just all these things, right, that we, we spoke about during Easter, right, during our, um, um, not, not, not Advent, what is Easter? What is that a term? Lent, right? Right, so he emptied himself of his glory, took upon him the form of a sermon in conception and birth, life, death, and after his death until his resurrection. There's nothing more humbler than God submitting himself, right, to all the miseries of this world for our sake. He died. For our redemption, for us to be one, to be of the same mind. Amen. I know we, you know, are you ready to be humiliated? <laughs> right? We don't want to be humiliated. That's one of the reasons, like, and this, it, it, no, I'm going to go off. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm gonna, I didn't have that in my notes and I was about to go off and I'm trying to stay with my notes. All right. <laughs> go up. Next. Now, this is the reason I have hope. <laughs> See, I used to get anxious and frustrated and angry, right? I used to be on social media and I'm just like, I'm just getting frustrated and everything. And I'm guilty of all that I have talked about today, right? But I was so humble as I, I, I study. And then as I would begin to kind of be frustrated, because like now, what are we going to do? Right. Like we need a conference. Right. Somebody need to write a book. Right. And, and, and like, how are we going to get the church together? And I realized that of the prayer that you see from our Savior in John 17, 20 to 23, it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they will be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be in us so. That the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is my hope. Right. I have no hope in a conference. I have no hope. Right. That our leaders are going to get this together. Right. I don't really have that much hope that the conservative crew and the social crew are going to get together and sing Kumbaya. I don't have any hope in that. But what I do have hope is the fact that my Lord and Savior prayed this prayer. Right. And I know it's a prayer that's received by the father and that's going to happen. Amen. That's why I got hope. Right. And so now I could go on social media. I could look at everything and I'll be like, man, this is jacked up. But you know what? God wants us to be one. Christ prayed for us to be one. And we all have the Holy Spirit in us so we could be one. 
And so let me tell you how I think it's going to go down. All right. We're going to be one. Right. We are. And it's either going to come through a major revival where God in a special way and his Holy Spirit is just going to bring us to repentance. Right. And we're going to turn from our ways and we're going to be united and reconciled. You know, one of the things people talk about is racial reconciliation. But my fear about that is that in the state that we are in, you're going to have black and white conservatives chilling and you're going to have social justice, black and white folks chilling, totally reconciled. (laughs) Right. And they still going to be fighting. (laughs) You know what I mean? But so either we're going to have a major revival Right. The great awakening, a great awakening. Right. Or persecution. Right. Because there's fruit. To our disunity, the world now is exasperated. Right. Because you got one side saying something. You got another side saying something else. And plus they and then sometimes we could begin to blame each other. Right. But the reality of it is, if you look at Romans, the world was going to trip even if we was together. Right. But we got this exasperated world, I think, because of us, you know, we didn't help the cause. And I think eventually we're going to be in the same boat. Right. Because right now we're becoming more and more marginalized. And no matter what group you are, if you're going to profess Christ alone, right? If you're going to stand for the gospel, you're going to be persecuted. And at the end of the day, they're not going to care about your social, you know, leanings. Cause we be like, we got that covered. You're going to either bow or you're not right. That's coming. But you know what? I don't, I, mean, I don't like suffering, but if that's what it takes for us to be one, praise the Lord. Strive to under, okay, and so, or we could just be obedient, right? That's the third way. We can't control what's going on in church Americana, right? We could try, but ultimately, you know, God is going to deal with that, I'm, I'm right? But what we can do is we can, together as a body, not be poisoned by the things that goes on outside, but we can walk in obedience and humility with one another, right? We, we, our testimony, the church testimony doesn't have to be our testimony here. The church can wrestle out there, but if we are together unified on one mission, right? And one mind walking in humility to the scriptures and with to one another, this local body, right, they're going to see us. And I, and I just pray that when the, this community sees us and they realize that we are a part of MacGav Community Church, they go, man, them saints are on fire. They're zealous. Man, I don't know about these other churches and groups, but man, these cats in my block, man, they love us. They, they care for us. Man, they got this standard of living that is just like crazy. 
and men, and, and, and they're so different. They got whites and blacks. I mean, and they just, you know, Asians and Hispanics. And it's just, man, it's crazy. And man, I pray that they'll get to knocking on our doors saying, man, what must we do to be saved? Help us. We are dysfunctional. What are you doing? All right. Now, can you go up two slides? Because I had the final verse. Well, you can leave it there. In the final verse, basically, in 27, Paul gets beat down. (laughs) This didn't work, right? The elders' plan didn't work, right? The Jews, the Christian Jews and the Jews, they still beat up Paul. And so the question is, the elders' plan, well, the elders' plan didn't work. But Paul's did his plan of humility. And when you're going to see in the next couple of weeks that Paul suffered well, that he stayed focused on the gospel. And then he got another day to proclaim and speak to his brothers. Right. Paul won. Humility won. The body of Christ won. All right. So applications. Right. So one thing I want you to continue to strive in understanding, uh, being graceful with one another, even being graceful to people outside this local body. You know, one of the things, you know, there's been a debate to bake the cake or not to bake the cake, you know, uh, and anybody who don't know what that is about is about the Christian um, bakers or photographers where. They just didn't want to, like, bake a cake for a homosexual wedding. And, oh, that got us fighting. (laughs) That got us fighting. But the thing is, we got to be graceful, right? We got to be able to say, man, I personally would have baked the cake and looked for another opportunity to share the gospel. But, man, I I respect your decision not to bake the cake and just suffer, Whatever may come from that, right? Grace. Because these are really complex times that we're living in, right? Just really difficult times. And most Christians are just trying to figure these, these things out. And, and most Christians aren't in the leadership roles or they're not in these political parties or these, these, just these high offices. They're just mom and pops and sisters and daughters trying to figure out, man, how to live for Christ in this crazy complex world. And so we need to really be graceful. And so I want you to start thinking about these two questions. Is there any type of religious, cultural, or ethnic affection you have that Satan can use to attack this local body? And how does humility practically play itself out when dealing with brethren? You differ on social and cultural issues. Amen. All right. That's all I have for you today. Um, At this time, uh, we're about to do two things.